I think we had Celebration Sunday Part 2 this morning. What do you think? So good. Thank you, choir and quiz, and thank you, Pastor Phil. It is interesting to me that here we have this beautiful, these beautiful, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, We have these beautiful moments of worship, and it's almost like this reprieve from the stress of the world. And yet what we're going to talk about today is money, which, according to statistics, in America, money is the number one cause of stress for 73% of Americans. 73% of Americans say that something financial is the number one stressor in their life right now. Now, I would guess that there would be about like three people in this room who naturally be, would, be, would say, I love talking about money in church. And then the majority of people would say, I'm a little uncomfortable when we're talking about money in church. But here's the reality. Why would we not talk about the thing that 73% of Americans say is the most stressful and not cover that in church? The Bible talks about it. God talks about it. God's got a lot to say about these things. And as people of faith, we want to dig in and explore. This is a little bit of a side note, but can we just say congratulations to Tyler and Leslie Veneman? They had a baby a week and a half ago, and they are here today. So I see you back there. That is very exciting. Super happy. Baby number three, you just kind of keep on going with life, right? It's really impressive. Side note, sorry. Just saw that. Had to, had to celebrate that. So high levels of stress. Maybe some of you have had financial stress this week. I mean, the statistics would say that some of you are this week in the middle of a pretty significant financially stressful moment. This kind of stress will manifest itself through anxiety and headaches and through a compromised immune system. I was reading about all the things that financial stress does to people, digestive issues, high blood pressure. People with high financial stress are twice as likely to report poor health overall. Did you catch that? People with financial stress are twice as likely to report poor overall health. Do you think there is a connection between the poor in our community and also poor physical health? It seems like there would be. There's also a connection to substance abuse and lack of resources. Given the significance and the relevance of this problem, I think it seems likely that God in his word would have something to say to us about this. We have been studying the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a builder. He becomes the general contractor of this great building project, and they build a wall. They're building a wall around the city of Jerusalem. The people of, of, of Israel had been scattered because of their unfaithfulness to God, and God allowed their enemies to come in and basically wipe them out and move them to faraway places. And now, after about 100 years or so, there have been a couple waves of small numbers of Jews returning as a Jewish remnant to rebuild the broken rubble of Jerusalem, and they've moved into this broken broken down place. And Nehemiah has been commissioned by God to go and to build the wall around Jerusalem. But the story of Nehemiah is not just a story about building a wall. We introduced our Kingdom Foundations campaign four weeks ago. This is our uh, a financial project that we are doing as a church. For those of you who are visiting today, it is a three-part project. And this, but this campaign is both about meeting the outside needs of these three things that we believe God is calling us to do, fixing our own, repairing our own broken parking lot, and uh, investing in neighborhood ministries, 
and also investing in our Mongolia partner church. But we believe that this campaign is not only about raising money for those things, but that it is also about what God wants to do in our lives as we grow in our own financial discipleship in God. It's both about raising these funds and what God wants to do in us. Uh, we received commitment cards last Sunday on, on Celebration Sunday, and we'll receive them again today at the end of the service. And next week, we will be, there'll be a final opportunity to turn them in for those of you who are still praying about that and seeking God about your participation in that. And uh, we'll be announcing that total soon, and we're very excited about that. But this story of Nehemiah is not just a story about building a wall. It's a story about an economic crisis, it's a story about disempowerment and oppression of the poor. I know the book of Nehemiah pretty well. I've studied it quite a bit and have done some work in it for a few different things. And uh, Nehemiah chapters 1 through 4 are all about rebuilding the wall. And then Nehemiah chapter 6 through the rest of the book in 13 is all about what happens after they build the wall and all the things that are part of that. But there's this chapter in Nehemiah chapter 5 that just doesn't seem to fit the rest of the book. And any time that you come to a passage of scripture that just seems to kind of not fit in with everything else that you're reading, as a Bible student, you need to ask the question, why is that there? What is happening in that passage? Nehemiah chapter 5 is a story about a financial crisis that interrupts the people. Here they are building a wall, here they are doing these things, but Nehemiah 5 is about this economic crisis. Uh, you find out there's a famine going on, you find out that poor people are, are being oppressed. We'll touch on it lightly this week, and then we'll be exploring it in a little bit more detail in the, in the next couple weeks. But I think what this shows us is that there's this undercurrent of financial challenges through the entire book of Nehemiah. And so often in our lives, the, the financial issues in our life don't seem like the main story. They seem like the secondary story. So often, when we're having a financial crisis in our lives, it's not, it doesn't happen when the rest of your life is going well. You never have a financial crisis when your marriage is great and your kids are great and your job is great and you have housing and you're secure. It always seems to happen when other things are going wrong. You have this problem at home. You have this problem at work. You have this problem with your extended family. And then on top of everything else, you've got a financial crisis. I don't know why it works that way. It just seems like they always go hand in hand. And this is what's happening to the Jews. They have this problem of the wall, but there's this undercurrent of financial tensions, economic struggle that feeds its way all the way through the book of Nehemiah. Now, if you remember back in Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, uh, well, actually, let's just, jump, let's just jump into the scriptures. We have financial trouble coming from three different directions. Financial trouble comes from lots of different directions. And the first foundation of financial trouble is because of their own issues, their own bad choices, the own, their own things they have done. Number one, the people are experiencing financial trouble because of their own choices. Let's remember how the Jews got into this pickle in the first place. Here we have a handful of Jews that are living in broken down Jerusalem. They, they've, they've been there long enough where a few of them have houses built up, but they have crumbled walls. They're not, things aren't going well. They had gotten to this point because of their disobedience to God, and God put the Jews in exile. Uh, they created this problem by themselves. In Nehemiah chapter 1, at the very beginning, uh, I'll just read a couple verses to remind you what we hit on a couple weeks ago. Nehemiah is speaking with Hanani, 
it says one of his brothers, one of his Jewish brothers, Nehemiah 1 verse 2, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah says, Hananiah, tell me what's, what's going on in Jerusalem. How are the people doing? How is the city? Verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and dis- disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. The people of Jerusalem who have moved back, who are trying to rebuild there, are not doing well. They are poor, they are vulnerable. Uh, anytime they gain anything, it just gets plundered by, by uh, other people groups who are around them. They are unsafe, they're unprotected. There's a constant plundering. You, you see the, uh, hints of this later on as you read the rest of the book of Nehemiah, that anything they gain just gets taken from them by the other people groups around them. They plant crops, they get destroyed, they build something, it gets knocked down. They cannot flourish in a place like this. The foundations, they, they just can't get the foundations built. They're living in the rubble. And this is what's happening. They're experiencing trouble. And to be perfectly fair, we have to remember they got here because of their own issues, right? Because of their, I'm not saying that all poverty is because of disobedience to God. I want you to hear me loud and clear on that. I'm just saying that sometimes financial trouble happens because of bad choices that we make to engage in sin, just like the Israelites in this particular situation. They are not doing well. Nehemiah's response then is to do this. He prays, Nehemiah 1 verse 5. Nehemiah hears this terrible news. His immediate response is to pray, and he says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And here he confesses. I confess the sins, we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you, God. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah's prayer says, God, I confess our sin. God, I confess my sin. God, I confess the sin of my family. God, we have not obeyed you. We have not obeyed you. God, you said, you told us, you would scatter us among the nations if we disobeyed. And God, you also said that if we repent, you'll bring us back. And so, God, I acknowledge the truth of where we've been, and God, I call on you to fulfill your promise, and in your grace and in your mercy, restore us to this place. Often a foundation of trouble, of financial trouble, is our own poor choices, our own sin. I am always amazed at how expensive sin is. Have you ever experienced your sin costing you a lot? Sin costs us so much. It always takes 
more than it gives back. I have heard so many people with uh, testimonies of addiction give me numbers of this is how much money I think I probably spent on my addiction over the years that I was in it. Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars for some people that I've, I've wasted. And uh, anytime I share that, people always come up and tell me, tell me their story. But addiction of any kind, not, not just substance abuse, but, but addictions of any kinds. When we, are in, when we are in addictions, that often leads to increased health care costs, a decline in income, legal fees. Sometimes we end up borrowing money that we can't pay back. Uh, and even if our sin of choice or our addiction of choice is affordable, little adds up over time, just like on our commitment cards for Kingdom Foundations. We've, we've showed you in this graph how a little adds up over time. Same thing with, with sin expenses. And once you lose control of your finances, it can be a massive challenge to rebuild. And it's easy to talk about addiction, but any sin that we've ever known of costs us something, often financially, often in other ways as well. And in God's economy, repentance starts the process of restoration. Will you say that with me? Uh, If we can pull that up on the screen. In God's economy, Repentance starts the process of restoration. This takes humility. This takes humility. Humility and money often go together. That's something for you to dig into on your own. Your pride and your finances are often very connected. But as we repent of this, often that's when the flourishing can begin. So sometimes the foundations of financial trouble are within our own selves. Stuff we've done, bad choices we've made, sins that we've committed. Another foundation of financial trouble is sometimes our people, our, our community. Number two, they exp- in Nehemiah, they are experiencing financial trouble from their own people. That's what I was referencing in Nehemiah chapter 5. In this, in, in this very interesting chapter, which again we'll dig into in the next couple weeks, it is this conflict between Jew versus Jew. Jews that have a little more versus Jews that have a little less. And Jews that have a lot more and Jews that have a lot less. And there's conflict from Jew to Jew. These are supposed to be our people. These are our family. These are, these are our, this is our group. And, uh, and there are injustices that are happening here. But there are people who are pursuing selfish gain, people who are taking advantage because they can, people who are taking advantage because it's always been this way, people taking advantage because they've always been able to. This leads into some systemic issues. In the passage in Nehemiah 5, I'm just going to hit a few of these highlights so you have a framework for understanding what's going on here. Nehemiah 5 verse 1 says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their own Jewish brothers. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. So there's also a famine going on here. We know that from another part of of scripture. There is stress. Do you hear the stress? Do you hear the stress in the statement saying, if we don't eat, we will die. It is that desperate. And we have have a problem with our own Jewish brothers. Verse 3, others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. We're, we're, we're We're going into the red We're going into the mortgage. We're going into debt because we're just trying to stay alive. 
They're heavy debts, and we're, we're in debt to our brothers, to our brothers and sisters here. It's scary to be in such heavy debt. Verse four, still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Do you hear the cry of a parent saying, my child is just as good as your child? It's just because we're poor that this is happening. Heavy debts to the point of slavery. People who don't own land anymore. Nehemiah's response in verse 6 is, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. Don't you wish you could be at that meeting? That's coming up in, in a couple weeks. But you can see how, how brother against brother, Jew against Jew, Jewish brother against Jewish brother, is causing the problem of, of this financial trouble. And sometimes we have financial trouble in our lives, not just because of poor choices that we make or sins that we commit. Sometimes we have financial trouble in our lives because of people taking advantage of us. People who take advantage of us because they can because it's always been that way, because the systems lend themselves to that. People who are pursuing selfish gain and you just happen to be collateral damage along the way. But there's a third reason for, foundation, for financial trouble to happen. The third foundation of financial trouble is they are experiencing financial trouble from outsiders. So not only do they have their own stuff that got them into this situation in the first place, and not only do they have this conflict in, the, in, their, own, in their own Jewish community, but there's also people outside of Jerusalem who are completely and totally against their flourishing, who want to see everything they can so, to have the walls not built up so that they can keep on plundering and keep on taking advantage of the Jews in Jerusalem. And that's where I want to dig in today. It is as if the Jews' own issues weren't enough and as if their own community issues were enough they now have a problem with the outsiders. These people give them a hard time. They don't want to see them flourish. They want to keep them down. They want to discourage them. Sometimes, church, we have others in our lives who don't want to see us flourish, who want to keep us down, who want to keep us in our place, who want to keep us discouraged. And the group of people in this passage are the Samaritans. And the Samaritans pop up through the whole book of Nehemiah. You read, it's such a funny journey to read their story. Nehemiah chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 6. These, they're in competition with the Jews. Now, let me just say a, a moment of historical background of what's going on here. The Samaritan people were formed at this time of exile. When Israel was conquered and everybody was carted off into exile, there were, there were a few that remained in Samaria. The Samaritans ended up intermarrying with some of the other people groups, and so they became became a, a racially mixed group that was different from the other Jews. Not only were they a racially mixed group, they, were also, they also then developed their own kind of version of Jewish spirituality. They, adapt, they changed the scriptures and what the scriptures, what, what they said was Jewish scripture and what wasn't. Uh, they developed their own economic system that was separate from how the Jews had been functioning according to the law. There's, and they had this spiritual superiority like, we stayed in the land, and you Jews didn't. And then the Jews, in return, said, 
but you aren't faithful to God, and we're, we are at least are humble, and we're trying to be faithful to God now. And so there's all this like, spiritual superiority that's coming into this argument as well. Moreover, Samaria is right next to where, to, right next to Israel, and, and, the, and Samaria at this time was really enjoying a free trade route because Israel wasn't there to get in the way of trade. And so Samaria was economically benefiting from the trade that was happening during this time. And they knew if Jerusalem got built up again that it was going to affect their financial income. It was going to affect their power over the region, their political power over the region, and it was going to keep them from being able to control the trade as they had been doing the last few decades. So, they're not very happy about the building of this wall. When Nehemiah first arrives there, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10, we read this. When San, Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Sanballat was the governor of Samaria, and Nehemiah's chief opponent. He did not want uh, this political threat. Samaria was strong defensively at the time, and they controlled this trade. There's animosity going on here. Uh, Sanballat is not interested in Jerusalem being restored or in seeing them flourish or economically grow in any way, shape, or form. Well, the story continues, and so they begin rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 says, then I, this is Nehemiah, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Nehemiah is speaking to the people. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. Nehemiah says, it's time. Let's go. Let's build. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Verse 19, but... When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Because if they were to rebel against the king, that, that would be very bad. The, the king who's the, who's the emperor over the, the province. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Sometimes, I think, church, there are people who like to say, you stay in your place. You're trying to make good changes in your life. You're trying to get out of the hole that you've dug for yourself. You're trying to do something different with your resources, and you're trying to save up a little bit. And people mock you and ridicule you and say, Who, you think you're some goody-goody. You think you're some person who's just trying to do good stuff. And people mock you and they ridicule you for trying to do the right thing. Well, then the wall starts to be built. And the more that the wall seems, starts to be built, the more Sambalat, Tobiah, and, the, and Geshem, the, the more upset they become. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 says, When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. So now he's not mocking them. He, his mockery was a mask for his anger. Now he's just flat out angry. He became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews 
and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who is at his side, said, what they are building, even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Tobiah is like the bully's sidekick who has to throw in his insult. How do you deal with financial trouble? When people come at you, when people are against you from, you're, you're trying to save, you're trying to do this, you're trying to do this tithing thing, and people got all sorts of opinions and telling you what you should or shouldn't do. You're trying to save up, and it's hard to do. And people are like, come on, why don't you just come and do this? Why, why are you spending your money differently? People, or people say, what is a little bit of debt going to hurt? Come on, let's do this. And people who are just against you flourishing and against you making the right decisions. So there's this, this wall begins to happen. How do we deal with financial trouble from outsiders? This is how Nehemiah responds. Nehemiah prays. The first thing he does is he prays. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Have you ever prayed a prayer to God? God, they hate me. If you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never been hated because of following God, I'd say maybe there's another level of following God that you're being called to because Jesus tells us this is going to happen. He says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Church, this is how you pray when you get insulted for following Jesus. This is how you pray. I'm going to tell you, this is a godly, biblical way to pray. To say, God, do to them what they threatened to do to me. God, you deal with them. God, do to them what they said they would do to me. God, pay attention. Don't forget, God, what they are doing. God, remember their sins and bring them to your just and righteous judgment in your time. That is a biblical, godly way to pray when you're experiencing persecution for living for Christ. Verse 6. Nehemiah prays, and then he goes on. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their hearts. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were what? Very angry. And then what did they do? They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. These people are poor. These people are hungry. These people are completely stressed 
they're, they're excited about what's going on, but they, they don't have a lot to lean on. And these attacks, these ridicules keep coming and coming and coming and coming. And now their enemies are angry. They are plotting together. They are coming to fight. They are stirring up trouble. And here's the response, verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. How do you deal with financial trouble? Number one, you pray. Number two, you prepare. You prepare. They pray to God and posted a guard. They prepared. They got ready. They said, all right, we're going to pray, but we're also going to do our human part of it, and we're going to partner with God, and we're going to get a guard who's going to just help protect us. They used wisdom. They used common sense. And they posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. They took the measures they needed to do. They did the necessary work to do to guard against the things that threatened financial trouble. Some of you need to prepare to, to be aware of what threatens you, to be aware of the threats to your economic stability, and to prepare to, to be on guard. What if they had not posted a guard? What if they had not prepared? The same thing that had been happening to them for a hundred years would keep on happening. They'd keep getting plundered. They'd keep getting attacked. All the things that they had worked for would get taken away from them again and again and again. Now, it's inconvenient to post a guard. It takes effort to post a guard. But they did the work of preparation. Verse 10. Meanwhile, the drama continues, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack you. These people are, are they're trying so hard. They're doing all that they can think to do. They're exhausted. The, the threats are getting worse. They're, they're getting warnings from people saying, this is not good. You are in danger. Verse 13, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. So now not only do they have a guard posted, now Nehemiah is taking more people. He is arming them, and he's saying, we need more than a guard. We need like, people to actually stand in the, low, in the gap, stand in the low places of the wall. So how do you deal with financial trouble? Number one, you pray. Number two, you prepare. Number three, you rely on your people. You utilize the community around you. Christians, American Christians, we are so committed to finances being private and personal, and it's none of your business about any of that. I understand that. I'm not saying that we need to make everything public about everything. I'm just saying we are so private about it to the point of we don't reach out when we're in trouble. We don't seek advice from other people. It's almost shameful. You almost think it's shameful if I have to ask advice of, of how to do this, how to connect with the bank, what does investing look like, what is, how do I save? I can't figure out how to do saves, savings, uh, budgeting. We are, so, we are so isolated and individualistic in the way that we think about this. And over and over and over, when the Bible's talking about economics, it's talking about a community dynamic of people being engaged in this process. Nehemiah here utilizes the people. He, they all join forces and they work together to preserve the work that's happening. Verse 14, Nehemiah says, after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. 
Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we are aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. How do you deal with financial trouble? Number one, you pray. Number two, you prepare. Number three, you use your people. And number four, you get perspective. Nehemiah casts vision. He says, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. You're in trouble. You're stuck. You can't find a way out of the rubble. That rubble just looks daunting. You don't know what you're going to do. Remember the Lord because he's great and he's awesome. Remember the Lord because he's great and awesome. And then he says, remember what's at stake. You need to know what's at stake. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons and your daughters. Fight for your wives and your homes. Remember what is at stake. Get some perspective. Verse 16, from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Can you just picture this? Here's the wall being built up, and here are the builders working on it, and then there are the, the other half of the people who are standing behind them with their, with their weapons just waiting, looking for anybody who might be coming to attack them. I mean, it's an incredible sight. Uh, those who carried materials did the work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Verse 19, then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding the spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. They're battling for the wall, but they're battling for more than that. They're battling for their wives and their homes. They're battling for their sons and their daughters. They're battling for their brothers and sisters, for their community. They're battling for their safety. They're battling for their future. They're battling for their economic well-being. They're battling for their ability to flourish. They're battling for their lives. And I would suggest that these same principles apply to our own financial troubles. To the 73% of us who would be in the position of saying finances are a number one stressor in my life right now, I would suggest that these same principles apply to us. That number one, prayer, is not just the spiritual answer that you're getting because you're at church, but that we can make our financial matters spiritual matters. That we recognize all of the resources that we have come from God. Everything we have is God's, and we are simply stewards of what God has given to us. And so the decisions that we make need to be in line with what God wants our money to look like. I think it looks like actually praying about decisions we have to make, leaning into those prayers, leaning into prayers about this is where we're stuck, God. And I think it's possible that if you examine your financial practices and your financial situation, 
in the company of the Holy Spirit. Picture that. Examine your financial practices while you are in company with the Holy Spirit. You just might find yourself surprised with what you begin to see. And so we prayerfully consider the use of our resources. We've been using that phrase in our Kingdom Foundations campaign. We've invited you to prayerfully consider how God might invite you to be part of this. And I would say let's use that phrase also for how we use money in the rest of our everyday lives. Prayerfully consider how you use the resources that God has given to you. Then the second thing we can do is to prepare. Preparing is never nearly as fun as spending or enjoying the fruits of what you have. But you can't get away from it. Planning matters. Management, if you're going to have the responsibility of money, then you have to use it responsibly. So you have to take time to manage it. You have to learn things. You have to ask for help. You have to grow in competence. You have to talk to people about it. As another part of the preparation, we've talked about the 10, 10, 80. There's the second part of the 10 that's about savings, that's about preparation, preparing for an emergency, preparing for when you need to have something saved up. Preparation is not fun, but it is necessary. Because what would have happened if Nehemiah didn't prepare? They would have never gotten out of the situation they were in. Nothing would have changed. They would have stayed in a place of rubble and being broken down. And if we don't prepare things won't change. The third thing we can do is recognize the role of people. We're, the the uh, Kingdom Foundations Committee is meeting tonight and we're talking about next steps with discipleship. I'm super excited about this conversation. I know that God wants to do big things in us. I know that City Life is a church of wide economic diversity. I love that about us. And I know that God wants to do something in us that is going to be beyond what we can even think right now over these next two years as we engage in this kind of discipleship. But we want to lean into community. The third thing we can do is, or excuse me, the fourth thing that we need to do then is to keep perspective. To remember what's really important. To remember the God who provides. To remember the God who wants us to steward things in a particular way. And remember what's ultimately important. Charles, feel free to come on up. I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes and in the company of the Holy Spirit, ask God, God, where do you, where do you need to grow me right now? God, where do you need to grow me? Do I need to be more prayerful and just do this with you more? God, do I need to do more work of preparation, just the nitty-gritty, just the work of learning leaning in, taking the time. God, do you want me to humble myself and reach out to some people? God, can you help me just be humble enough to do what I need to do? Or God, I just need a little perspective because right now this thing seems really big. And I don't know how to even find my way through it, but God, I, I just call out to you. Help me to have your perspective on this. Give me the faith that I need for what's next. How do you need to pray? How do you need to prepare? What people do you need? What perspective do you need? As we conclude today's focus on the foundations of our troubles, I want to invite you, if you have been 
think praying through your Kingdom Foundation's commitment, I want to give you an opportunity to be part of this campaign. You'll be hearing more about this again next week, and we're just so excited about the crazy stuff that God is already doing through this. And I would invite you to fill out, if you are ready to do so and haven't done this yet, fill out that commitment card that is on your seat and drop that at the welcome table uh, as you exit today out in the lobby. And I would also invite you to say, to, to recognize this isn't just about the Kingdom Foundations campaign for other people, it's about, also about the Kingdom Foundations campaign and what God wants to do in my life. And so, Lord God, we come before you today asking for your perspective, asking for your help. God, some of us have gotten to where we are because of our own sin, because of our own stuff. And I pray, Lord, for those who are currently in that place, that in your kindness you would lead them to repentance. And Lord, there are some who are experiencing financial difficulty today because of internal strife with their own people or because of outside things that are attacking, outside difficulties. Lord, whatever those reasons are, we come before you today asking that you will be Lord of our resources that you will help us to give up what we need to give up and to gain what we need to gain. Thank you for calling us into financial freedom, and we pray against the role of the enemy and the bondage that he would like to keep us under. And pray, Lord God, for the flourishing, for the rebuilding, for the renewal that is part of your vision for your kingdom.